Hello, Creepsters. Welcome to the Bohemian Dolls Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Tonight, we have a special guest on the Witching Hour hotline, Mitch Harowitz. He's a bestseller author known for his esoteric ideas. Tonight, Mitch will be discussing two of his many awesome books. The first book is called Sex Transmutation, and the second book is called The Miracle Club. Hi, Mitch. Would you like to start off by telling the Creepsters a little about your work in the literary world? Sure. I am primarily a seeker. I chronicle metaphysical experience in history and in practice. Mm -hmm. I've written on the history of supernatural and occult movements in America, and I classify myself as a believing historian. I participate in many of the movements and esoteric practices that I write about, and I suppose the thing that I'm interested in more than anything else is the usefulness of metaphysical ideas or mystical ideas. Do they work? You know, that, that question to me is more important than any other. So I tend to go after ideas that I think do work because of my own involvement in them perhaps or because I just feel very attracted to the persona behind them. Mm-hmm. And I document things that I think are effective in, in occult and, and esoteric practice. That's amazing. Uh, that's a that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because there's so many things that go on every day that as adults we're too busy to question anymore. We can yes, yes. just become numb to the idea of uh, the unknown and yes. just dismiss it when it's right in our face every day. So I think this is very it's, it's just amazing and people like you are it it just opens up our eyes and to have a podcast to broadcast this and to have you on the show is awesome so i appreciate it thank you (laughs) yes and what is sex transmutation exactly sex transmutation i suppose could be described as a kind of occult or psychical power that arises from the sexual urge and it's very easy to use and to experiment with mm-hmm. the the principle behind sex transmutation is that the sexual urge that men and women experience the sexual urge that exists within all people is the expression of life seeing to seeking to propagate itself not only in terms of the human species but in terms of all acts of creativity, all acts of generativity. So we tend to see sexuality strictly in terms of physical pleasure Mm -hmm. or in terms of propagating the species, both of which are obviously very important and very vital parts of everyone's uh, sexuality, depending upon who they are. Mm -hmm. But the concept of sex transmutation, which runs throughout a lot of different esoteric traditions, is that through a mental act, of simply shifting your attention at a chosen moment away from an act of physical pleasure or an act of physical sexuality and in the direction towards some goal that you want to reach, whether it's the completion of a project or a work of art or a job interview or whatever you have or Mm -hmm. whatever you have in front of you, can place just tremendous creative and intellectual energies at your back. It's not about sexual abstinence, but it's about just at certain selected moments, 
instead of satisfying your sexual desire in the traditional way mm -hmm. through some sort of physical pleasure, you direct your attention consciously and willingly with a sense that you're placing the sexual energy in the service of some project you want to accomplish. And the principle is, the theory is, that it will heighten your intuition, your intellectual acumen, your physical vitality, and that you're placing at your back a kind of universal creative energy of life that we call sexuality, but could just as easily be considered a kind of universal life urge that exists within all of us. And so the the book, the, the Power of Sex Transmutation, is intended to show in a very simple way how to try to harness and use this very esoteric teaching. And it's just something that the individual can experiment with if it sounds appealing. That's that's amazing. We learn about sex in school, right? Like the basics of it and as mm -hmm. far as like the safety of performing the act, but nothing beyond that. And mm -hmm. when you think of sex and you think of, you know, the whole idea of it w without everything you just mentioned, it's literally just for pleasure. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it can be seen in such a broader way. Yes. And that doesn't mean that one doesn't use sex for pleasure. It doesn't right. mean you have to change your life. Yeah. It just means that this is an additional use exactly. that you can experiment with. And when you think about it, we may not think on, on a physical level, but you know, like, like I said, we just think of it as the average person just thinks of it as pleasure, right? Yeah. And, or, yeah. Or, and then it goes to like, okay, to release stress and it, it and things like that. But yes. it, it is, I think subconsciously, we do know how, how strong of a connection there is there. We just don't know how to utilize it. And I think this book, puts it in perspective because it's it's so much more than we think it is i, yes, I think yes. i think it's even more layers than even what we're talking about right now it's it's just that you know certain things we just we don't understand and no one yes. has tapped into yet but i yes. i completely agree with you i think that if you use it for ple pleasure, obviously, but you you use it in a way where you you want to manifest something in a positive way that it mm -hmm. it it can come true. Like when it, it just it's such a powerful thing. And before I read this book, I didn't I didn't know if you would discuss um, when you have your partner and you guys transfer energy and i wanted to know what you thought of that and uh is that something that you believe in that two partners can transfer energies uh when having sex and how powerful that is and how that also can affect like if you want to manifest something oh yeah i do believe that um i do believe that something about the sexual act and the sexual climax serves to focus our psychical energies, if I could speak in those terms. I, I realize I'm using language that not everybody may agree with, but yeah. I am speaking in terms that are somewhat extra physical. Yeah. And I do believe that we participate in a life that extends beyond the material. So when I say spiritual, for example, 
I really mean the extra physical, and I'm very interested in the question of harnessing different psychical energies and so forth. So I very often use that as my jumping off point when speaking about these things. Um, it's really the basis of modern sex magic, and this was something that you find in the work of the magician Aleister Crowley, for example, mm -hmm. that if you can focus on something that you deeply wish to manifest, so to speak, at the moment of sexual climax, whether you're with a partner or whether you're by yourself, that can be very, very powerful. That can send forth a kind of psychological or psychical beacon into the world. We don't really know what it is, and it's very difficult to get a handle on precisely what's happening in these operations. I wrote a book called The Miracle Club where I tried to devise a theory of what's happening when mental causation seems to occur. It's just my effort to arrive at a theory. I don't know that it's correct, but I feel like sometimes we have to try to take a step forward and reach for something we might not fully understand. And people who engage in chaos magic have made the same point. Um, the centerpiece of chaos magic tends to be writing down a sentence and then turning your sentence into an abstract symbol called a sigil. And most chaos magicians will say that you should try to work yourself up into a state of ecstasy when you're gazing at your sigil. And the fact is, most people do it through sexual climax. And since most people are working a magical spell by themselves, most of the time that sexual climax is through self-pleasure or masturbation. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter whether you're doing it with a partner or whether you're doing it by yourself. What's, what's important in these acts is that the sexual climax itself be used not strictly for pleasure but also for the purpose of of kind of outpicturing and manifesting something that's wished for and that's really a centerpiece of both sex magic and chaos magic i suppose the wrinkle that i bring to it that's a little different in this book the power of sex transmutation first of all it's based on the teachings of napoleon hill who i'm i'm a great student and, and admirer of and hill made the point going back to 1937, when very few people were writing publicly about these ideas, that just the urge itself, if you could use it at the back of what you're trying to accomplish, just through shifting your mind, just through shifting your thoughts away from pleasure and towards whatever goal it is that you have in sight, whether it's short-term or long-term, it'll put tremendous energy behind all that goal. So I think all these figures, the sex transmuter, the, the sexual magician, the practitioner of chaos magic, they're all circling around the same idea. They're all using the same thing. It's really sexual alchemy, basically. Right. And what is sexual alchemy? Well, sexual alchemy is really just the transformation of the sexual urge or of the sexual impact uh, um, climax into something that you want to see made manifest in the world, whatever it is. It, the idea is that if, if an individual believes that the mind has causative properties, that what we think about to some greater or lesser degree uh, determines what will happen to us or, or our experience, then this is a way to kind of bring that practice to another level. And the idea of alchemy is transforming um, base matter into gold, so to speak. And that should be understood more on a psychological level. So the idea is, can you take the experience of climax, which we all experience at varying times, and use that 
as a means of making manifest something that you wish to see expressed, you know, in the world. So if you're a person who participates in some of the metaphysical movements that I write about, that I care about, this is just a way, and hopefully a rather simple way and a pleasurable way of, of taking your practice or your experiments to another level. That's amazing. And yes, I think this is one of the methods that I can say everyone agrees that they have, they do throughout life. So it, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's sure. a convenient, a convenient practice to use while doing that too. Uh, what made you want to write this book and how did sexual transmutation help you with your mm-hmm. success and Well, I I got interested in writing the book because sexual transmutation, sex transmutation, is the topic of a chapter in the book Think and Grow Rich. It's chapter 13, I believe, Mm -hmm. in Think and Grow Rich. And even though that book is a very popular, very domesticated book, it's been around since 1937, the chapter on sex transmutation is one that many people see as very mysterious, very esoteric. It doesn't get talked about very much. In fact, there's a broadcaster I admire named Earl Nightingale, who in 1960 produced an abridgment of of Think and Grow Rich. And in Earl's abridgment, he omitted the chapter on sex transmutation altogether. It was considered too occult and too controversial to be included. And I thought to myself, of all the topics in Think and Grow Rich and in the self-help world that people talk about, this one has been neglected. So I wanted to write about it in a way that was clearer, was simpler, would resound more with people. I was also aware that as much as the teachings of Napoleon Hill tend to be regarded as very mainstream, he was dealing with some very heavily esoteric material in that chapter, which coincided with some ancient practices in Tantra, in Kabbalah, in the Vedic tradition. And it also coincided with modern practices that we were just talking about in sex magic and in chaos magic. So I was just blown away that this this topic was sitting in such a quiet way in the midst of this well-known book. And, and Napoleon Hill also made the observation that I felt was really true, that of all the different motives that drive people, he felt sexuality was the strongest. And in a sense, we might want to argue with that and say, no, you know, people are driven by love, they're driven by hate, they're driven by money, but really by sexuality. And as I sat down and really thought about it and all the different human conflicts, both on an intimate and a macro scale that occur in the world, all the different undulating waves of commerce and things that go on across our culture, I think it may very well be true, it may very well be correct that the sexual impulse is perhaps the the strongest impulse. And if it is, think how powerful it could be to learn about using it in different ways. Of course, we have so many instances of people using it in destructive ways, destroying their lives, destroying the lives of other people, or at least harming other people. And um, what if it could be used in these beneficent ways to help promote what you want to see made manifest in the world? So those are the factors that got me interested in writing the book. That's amazing. And how has it helped you throughout life? Um, oh, that's a wonderful question. Yeah. You know, I bound with enthusiasm, and people always say to me, Don't you ever sleep? You know, you always seem to be working and what have you. And the truth is, I do sleep, and I do have downtime, and I do have my relationships. But 
I do burst with passion and enthusiasm for everything I do. And Napoleon Hill said that's really sex energy. It just goes under different terms. When we say passion, when we say enthusiasm, when we say magnetism, when we say charisma, he said, you know, those are all just euphemisms for sexuality. And that if a certain salesperson, for example, seems to be like uniquely effective at persuading people to buy something, his contention was that salesperson demonstrates a great deal of sexual energy. We call it something else. You know, we say, oh, wow, that's a great salesperson. You know, we use right. euphemisms. But he said what's really going on is, is sexuality. So right. I feel it's been a force behind everything I do. Every time people say you're so passionate, you're so enthusiastic, I think those are more acceptable substitutions for, right. you know, the, the word sexuality. Yeah. Right. That, that makes a lot of sense. So we use, basically what you're saying is we use it on a daily basis and don't even realize it. I really believe that's true, yeah. I think that's right on, yeah. That's amazing. You talked about uh, sex magic and other methods that uh, various other religions mm -hmm. use. Were there a few other ones in the book? other religions that also use this uh, or similar methods? Oh, sure. Um, in particular, you'll find some of these ideas within the ancient practice of Tantra. Tantra is something that grows out of the Vedic tradition. And Tantra is a practice in which during sexuality, both partners, it's usually partner-based, both partners will try to forestall or even entirely abstain from climax and that is thought to build up a kind of psychical energy within the physical form of the individual so the partners who are engaged in the sexual act will bring the sexual act to a point just before climax and then will stop and the idea the principle is that that in itself builds up unique energy within the individual. You'll sometimes find other traditions like certain monastic traditions and, and actually Henry David Thoreau even indirectly wrote about this in which it's believed that if you abstain from climax, maybe you live in a like a hermitage or you live in like an isolated position by choice if you can abstain from self-pleasure, if you can abstain from climax, that too will build up like unique psychical energies and mental acuity within you. That's the tradition, at least. It's for each individual to experiment with him or herself, but, but definitely one of the things that Napoleon Hill taught in his sex transmutation chapter, which I really value, is that you don't have to engage in any kind of sexual abstention at all. Uh, that sexuality is very healthy, it's important, it's necessary, but this is just something to, to attempt at a time of your own choosing when you feel like it. You know, it's just one more way of expressing your sexuality. And an important thing that I always tell people is it's also totally private. You don't have to tell anybody that you're doing it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to advertise it to anybody. You don't have to talk to your shrink about it or your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend. Mm -hmm. It's your experiment. Okay. And it's just something to attempt. And if you like it, try it again. You know, but, but there doesn't, there's no disclosure involved. You know, it's something that the individual could choose to do within the privacy of his or her own life and existence.
is it something that is it a skill that can be taught and learned easily or like how what are the steps to doing this it's super easy in fact it's so easy that it's almost it's almost shocking you know because one always expects there should be several steps in some sort of esoteric operation but this one is is actually very simple mm-hmm. it's just a question of when you feel the sexual urge when you feel sexual desire the common response in our society is you either satisfy it or you put off the satisfaction of it you, you may be in public you may be commuting somewhere you may be in the library you, you know obviously socially you're going to put it off and satisfy the urge later mm-hmm. but this teaching provides a third option, which is that instead of engaging in pleasure right then and there, or instead of putting off pleasure to some more socially acceptable time when you're in private, you direct your thoughts while feeling this sense of sexual desire towards something that you want to accomplish, a work of art, a piece of writing, mm-hmm. something you're trying to sell. You know, It could be commercial in nature. It could be that you're just trying to persuade someone of something. And at your chosen moments, you redirect your thoughts away from thoughts of sexual pleasure and towards thoughts of whatever it is you're trying to accomplish or see made manifest in the world. It's really that simple, you know, and it's there for people to experiment with. Did you want to talk a little bit about your, this is your most recent book, The Miracle Club? Is that the most recent book? Oh, yeah. Um, The Miracle Club was a very special book for me because it's probably the first book that's strictly practical that I've written. Uh, in, the, in the past, I've written heavily as a historian, and this book seeks to look at ideas and figures from the tradition of mind power metaphysics or positive mind metaphysics, ask where they came from, what they were trying to accomplish, and what works. And, and in the book, I provide exercises very much like what we've just been talking about that I use myself that I think are valid, and it's a, it's a journey through techniques and methods that I've come to believe are really useful in the whole mind metaphysics field. Positive thinking culture has got a great deal of growing up to do as well. I don't think it deals well with suffering. I don't think it deals well with chronic illness, end-of-life issues, suffering on a global scale, and I try to pick some of that apart too. I'm trying to create a kind of like philosophy of positive mind metaphysics that serious, mature people can adhere to. And I also try to come up with a theory of why it works, because I believe it does work, and that's why I was motivated to write a book that was practical in nature. Right. I, this book, uh, I actually was able to read on Audible, and I I, oh. I read it once, and then I had to go back through it, because it was just, it was so much amazing information about how to organize your thoughts before you think about manifesting um, things and i think as adults we have a hard time even doing that like i i I have to re-listen to the audible because i want to write down goals and things but you you really break it down on how to even be responsible with your thoughts like okay how rational is is this goal that you want and Mm -hmm. you you mentioned like is it financially ideal it's you know different things that we have to think about that we're forced to think about and i think as adults it's kind of like we 
once we start thinking about like, oh, manifesting something, that should be easy, but to actually have to do it is, it's scarier to actually try to do it, which is weird. Like I, when I was reading it, I'm like, oh, I actually have to like think about this. Yeah, and, yeah. You know? One of the things that can help people, I believe, when they're dealing with questions of selection or manifestation, I, I, re I, I think and write more in terms of selection than mm -hmm. I do manifestation, mm -hmm. and I go into the reason why in the, in the Miracle Club. But I believe that we do live in a physical framework that has certain limitations, mm -hmm. and that is part of life. And I think that when things reach us, even extraordinary things, the overwhelming likelihood is that they will reach us through recognizable channels, channels that have already established themselves mm -hmm. in our lives or in life in general. So, and people who work with chaos magic make this point really well, that there has to be some means of arrival. You know, you have to be able to foresee some means of arrival. Like if I say, I want to be an astronaut, mm -hmm. there's hugely unlikely to ever occur for a vast number of reasons, right. you know, but if I say I want to learn to fly, you know, I can do that, you know, and, and, and I mean, one has to be willing to coexist within this, this sphere that we live in, in an intelligent way. And there has to be some ready and reasonable means of arrival. Mm -hmm. That said, extraordinary things can happen to a person. But there has to be some means of arrival. And, and, and that's one of the things I've been thinking about more and more lately, um, how, to, how to think about your own wishes in a way that's bold, mm -hmm. but that's also recognizing that there has, to be some, there has to be some channel of delivery that's foreseeable. It doesn't mean you have to work it out and figure out how it's going to reach you. In fact, that could even be a, a deterrent. Mm -hmm. but, but there has to be some concept that that there is a channel of, of delivery i believe right yeah i you just hit it right on a nail it's the i guess for me thinking about well this book it's amazing because you know a book is amazing when it has you thinking about or second guessing life and that's mm -hmm. what this book is doing is is basically letting you know that it's okay to take a step back, think about yeah. things that you really want to do, like what is life and what your purpose right, is. Right, for sure. And, for sure. And so it's amazing. And I think a lot of people, it, adults, because when you're a kid, you're fearless. You you want to become an astronaut or, or something extraordinary. And then as you get older, the world kind of taints you and you, you kind of lose track of, all that confidence that you had as a kid, you know? So Yes, oh for sure. But I very often tell people that sometimes feelings and fantasies and dreams, both daydreams and literal nighttime dreams that they had when they were kids, mm -hmm. if they scrutinize them very, very carefully and if they're able to dial back their memory to a very, very early age, like we begin to form memories that stay with us, long-term memories, mm -hmm. conscious, cognizant long-term memories, say around age three. Mm -hmm. If you can begin to get in touch with some of your earliest fantasies, you might be just extraordinarily surprised at how they've played out in your present existence. That's been the case for me. Uh, I'm doing things at this point in my life that 
really, truly mirror things I was thinking about and fantasizing about when I was three, four, and five years old. And it's taken a long time. But I am shocked sometimes by the congruity of it. And that's an exercise that I, I always invite people to try. Yeah, I think that's an amazing exercise because when we were kids, we're the most purest. So a lot of yes. judgment and... Not, I guess, yet insecurities aren't there because we don't we don't know about that yet. So that's right. We we're at our purest form. Yes. You mentioned how important it was to have a spiritual path while doing this, mm-hmm. and how important that is. Also, so the two components to personal power. Mm-hmm that you mentioned, uh, one was to drill, basically repeating um, a skill. And I thought that was really interesting and also really important. And what was the other one? It was uh, the two elements of personal power that I was talking about there, uh, which are from an essay by Ralph Waldo Emerson, Mm -hmm. are drilling and concentration. Mm-hmm. So concentration of energies on like one solid point, which is a natural law too. Mm-hmm. If you concentrate anything in nature, it creates a force. Mm-hmm. And drilling, which really could mean rehearsing, practicing the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, if you want to be a pianist, you're concentrating your energies onto that goal. You're practicing, rehearsing your scales mm-hmm. every single day. The same is true for the martial artist. The same is true for the commando. Mm-hmm. The same is true for any any anybody in any figure of life. It could be finance. It could be computer programming. It could be anything. Right. Once you've got your point of concentration, and it's so valuable if you can discover what that point of concentration is, mm-hmm. and then you just continue within that within that, that niche, that pinpoint, to rehearse, to practice, to drill. And um, that's how it works in nature, and I, I believe that's how it also works in our lives. Right, so it's basically creating good habits. And from there... Good habits and, and incredibly focused habits. You know? Right, and then also kind of, uh, I guess that good habits and also skills which again yes. takes us back to when we were younger. We for were sure. like sponges, you know, so it was easy for us to gravitate to something we really loved and to learn it and to perfect yes. it without yes. even knowing. I also thought this was really great to aim, plan, and execute. And mm-hmm. I, as simple as that sounds, just to hear that, it it kind of organizes your thoughts into preparing yourself to, uh, I guess, be on that path. Yes. And and then to relax yourself, relax your mind, and kind of organize your thoughts, and then from there meditate and and I get this actually. That's why I wanted to talk about both books because they complement each other so perfectly yes Um, yes yeah you know sex transmutation is a method that i started to work with after completing the miracle club but if i was working on the miracle club right now i probably would have that 
as a centerpiece uh, method because it's just so valuable. Right. But it's all part of the same conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it it complements complements each other so well, and I think together, it like you if you want to manifest something, you're completely on your way if you read both of these books and. Oh, I appreciate and that. Go Thank back you. and forth with them. It, it's just really amazing, and I also like that you you also welcome your readers to meditate at a certain time during the day. Uh, Three p.m. Yes, yeah. I'm gonna get back to that. But also, you mentioned, which I thought was interesting, about depression, and I. I think you've mentioned anxiety and things like that too, but definitely depression and different hours of the day where it's really uh, prominent for most people. Yes. And yes. could you explain that and what times of the day and why this occurs? Sure. One of the things I'm very interested in is a state that sleep researchers call hypnagogia. And hypnagogia is just those few moments of deep relaxation mm -hmm. that we experience just before we drift off to sleep. Mm -hmm. And we experience it, that 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 same state again, just as we're coming to in the morning. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's called hypnopompia at that time. It differs a little bit, but it's essentially the same state in which it's a kind of dreamlike hallucinatory state in which you hover in between consciousness and sleep. Mm -hmm. You could hallucinate, you could hear noises, but you still have some control over cognition. Mm -hmm. But our rational defenses are down at that time of day. Mm -hmm. And... That can be a very useful state because if you use affirmations or mantras or meditations during that state, it can be a very powerful time mm -hmm. because your rational mind is not pushing back against you. Mm -hmm. However, for people who suffer from depression or anxiety or grief, mm -hmm. they have to be very careful during that time of day because for the very reason that our rational defenses are down. So mm -hmm. things that could seem monstrous uh, that are not really as bad or as grave, mm -hmm. the gremlins of our subconscious can really take on these inflated proportions during the hypnagogic state. This is why I believe a lot of people who suffer from depression or who are grieving mm -hmm. describe the early morning hours as the most difficult hours of the day, wow. those wee early morning hours. Yeah. And I believe it's because they're in a state of hypnagogia and the mind is still working, we're still formulating ideas, but again, our rational defenses are down, so we're not able to see things proportionally. Right. And if you find that you're laying awake in bed at four in the morning and you're thinking about stuff, mm -hmm. if you really can't sleep, just get up, you know, do whatever you need to do, but you must be aware that, intellectually speaking, that is a time of day in which your analytic abilities, your rational filter is at a low point, and you're not going to be able to think of things, solutions, problems, in a reasonable way, and you're only going to be tormenting yourself. Yeah. You know, so be careful with that state. It's very powerful. But at the same time, it can also be used to your benefit, because if you can use that time to do affirmations or mantras, they can also be very helpful because for the same reasons that your rational defenses are down. Right. You're sort of all emotions at that time. Right. So in other words, use those emotions and and kind of focus them on something. If, if you can focus 
by using a mantra or a visualization or an yeah. affirmation, it can be very powerful. Yeah. But if you find that your thoughts are just running riot, it's mm -hmm. not your fault. You know, it's really not because that's a time of day when our rationality is at a low ebb wow. and it's best just to get out of bed and disrupt things. I like to end the interview with asking you, um, why do you feel both books are important to humanity and yeah, just why, why they're important to us and, and how we live our everyday lives? The reason they're important is for the same reason that I wrote them. I believe the ideas are valid. Mm -hmm. I believe they work. I believe they will give the individual a greater sense of ethical power, of personal power. I truly think at the end of the day, although we don't like to talk about it, most of what we're searching for in our spirituality, in our therapy, in our yoga, in our meditation, mm -hmm. is a sense of personal power, personal agency. Mm -hmm. And I think we've been mis mistaught in a certain way to think of power as something that's greedy or selfish or ignoble. Mm -hmm. But I think that the expression of power is basic to what it means to be a human being. Mm -hmm. It helps us to be generative, to be productive, to get things done. Mm -hmm. We all want to feel a greater sense of personal agency. And I think that these books provide methods that will bring that into a person's life. That's amazing. To end the episode, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show and do you have any upcoming tours uh books that are coming out or any events that you would like to share with the guests also if you could let everyone know where they can find more of your work like your website uh sure your books are um my website is mitchhorowitz.com, very easy to find. Mm -hmm. If you throw my name into Google, you'll find all kinds of lectures and articles and ideas. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm, if you throw my name into Amazon, you'll find lots of books and audio programs and other things. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking in New York City in Brooklyn, September 19th. I have a bunch of speaking gigs happening in Los Angeles uh, starting October 24th. I'll be there for about a week. Uh, easiest way to keep up with me in terms of speaking gigs and other things is probably to follow me on Twitter or Facebook. On Twitter, I'm just at Mitch Horowitz, and I'm always po posting speaking gigs. But if you're on one of the coasts, I'm speaking here in New York September 19th and Perfect. a few dates in L.A. starting um, October 24th. Awesome. So thank you. Thank Thanks. you so I much, it. Mitch. Thanks a lot. Have I'll be in touch. Bye. Please send all listener stories to info at bdumpodcast.com.